Ukulele Tales with John Atkins. Yo ho ho, it's me, the ukulele teacher, or as I hope you're beginning to think of me, John Atkins. Welcome to the Christmas edition of Ukulele Tales. As ever, sponsored by Carla Brand Music, so if you're looking for a new uke for the new year, head to carlabrand.com forward slash uke teacher and you'll get a 10% discount on anything on the Carla store just because you happen to listen to Ukulele Tales. Now, depending on where you are in the world, this should be reaching you more or less on Christmas Eve, which I'm hoping will become a bit of a tradition for the podcast. Now, I can't quite remember if last year's episode came out on Christmas Eve or not, but I was speaking a little while ago to my friend Stu Kalele from Uke Mullum in Australia, who told me that last year he waited until his family had gone to bed on Christmas Eve and then put on a pair of headphones and listened to an episode of the podcast late at night in the empty house as a little treat to himself. Now, I thought that was a really cool story, and I'd love for that to become a bit of a tradition. Not just for Stu, of course, but hopefully for the rest of you as well. Now, lots of my favourite podcasts and TV shows have special Christmas episodes, so I don't see why Ukulele Tales should be any different. So, with that in mind, a couple of days ago... I jumped on the phone with James Hill and his wife, Anne Janelle, to chat about all things Christmas, including their terrific new Christmas album, The Midnight Clear, which came out a few weeks ago, and I'm sure will also become part of lots of new Yuletide traditions for lots of you listening. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already, as soon as you've finished listening to this podcast, of course. Now, I'm sure you'll all be familiar with James and his wife, Anne, and it's always good to catch up with friends and family at this time of year, so it really was great to have a chat with them. Now, as ever, they were very generous with their time, and as ever, James is what I would describe as a deep thinker, and he really gave me plenty to ponder over during this festive period. Now, the first half of the interview, we talk all about the album, The Midnight Clear, which again is out right now on Apple Music, Spotify, all the usual places. But then in the second uh, half of the chat, we'll talk a bit more about things like the creative processes involved in working with your spouse or significant other, the lengthy incubation period involved in lots of creative projects, and the lack of shared cultural experiences in today's society and why that makes Christmas music so important. It's a really fun interview, and I did have a blast chatting with the pair, so I hope you'll enjoy it too. Now, unfortunately, because James and Anne weren't at home, we had to do the interview over the phone, and the audio quality isn't the best in the world, but I've cleaned it up to the best of my ability, and if you plop on a nice pair of headphones, it should still be very listenable. Now, I'll be back shortly to talk to you a bit more, but in the meantime, here's part one of my interview with James Hill and Anne Janelle. On the west coast of Canada, which is where we both grew up, actually. We're sitting in uh, Anne's mom's living room 
Um, and we just did a concert yesterday, like at, at the church where Anne grew up. And it's like, it's kind of a walk down memory lane right now. But are you like on tour or is this just a sort of one, one off thing or? Yeah. So we are in the midst of our release tour for our brand new record, The Midnight Clear. And so we did an East Coast leg of that tour. And yesterday we started the West Coast leg. So we have three more shows coming up with full symphony orchestra next weekend. So we're pretty excited about that too. That's amazing. Can I just ask, is that the West Coast and East Coast of Canada? Or are you sort of uh, crossing yeah, the water sorry. at all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So this is, this is a Canadian tour this year. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Now, when did this, this came out? Was it a couple of weeks ago, your Christmas album? Yeah, it was on yeah, November 24th. The end of November. We had a concert back home on the East Coast of Canada, uh, which is kind of like a, we, we've started to do this annual concert in the town nearest to where we live, um, which is called Truro, Nova Scotia. And it's kind, of, it's kind of the kickoff for us. And I think a, a lot of other people too, just to say like, yep, it's okay to get into the Christmas spirit. It's okay to get into the holiday spirit. It's okay for it to snow from here on in, you know, once this concert happens, it's officially the season. And so um, we thought we would release the album on that day. It just made all the sense in the world. And it's lovely, by the way, I was listening to it. Um, well, I've been listening to it the last couple of days, actually. It's really something really, uh, I don't know, really special. Um, I wanted to ask you well, guys, you. is that something you've kind of wanted to do for a long time? Or where, where did the idea for the Christmas album come from? Uh, I blame your mom. <laughs> I, <laughs> You know, you have some people in your life who are just Christmas people. Mm-hmm. Like they, they look forward to Christmas. They, they collect Christmas things. They really get into the spirit of Christmas. Um, and Anne's mom for us is, is that person in our lives. And so years ago, she sort of sort of whispered the idea that, you know, it would be great if you guys would do a Christmas album. And we've been very gradually piecing it together. Um, in fact, uh, in our own hometown of, you know, a tiny little town in nova scotia they have uh they have an annual um food bank concert right i mean that's kind of where some of these songs came from we had an invitation to play for this fundraising concert and you know it's like any musician you just say yes to the gig and then we were like oh wait we actually don't know any christmas arrangements so mm-hmm. uh, so we we made some <laughs> and uh yeah so that's that's kind of how it started and then every year subsequent we kind of did one or two other arrangements so it, it has been a long time in the making and it it's fun to stand back and see the whole collection of tunes so i would say like the first one off the record was the Ilene, the Divine Enfant, and the I Saw Three Ships fiddle medley. It's like an instrumental. Yeah. yeah. And then the one that we finished with, like, you know, we almost had pressed the CD already, and uh, we came up with this arrangement for Patapan, which is this beautiful old Burgundian carol. So, yeah, it's been been several years in the making, but uh, it's really fun to see it all as one collection now. It's funny how it started with a French girl and ended with it a French did, girl. yeah. Sorry, I was going to ask about Patapan, actually, because um, yeah. I've never heard heard that song, or I'm not familiar with it at all. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. are all the songs arrangements of Christmas songs, or are some of them sort of Hill Family originals? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good question. There, there's two 
categories of, of tunes on this record. One, one is sort of the um, reinterpretation category, which mm-hmm. is mostly Anne's department. It, it seems like every year uh, in like early November, she sort of wakes up in, in a cold sweat and just has this, has this arrangement, like this new interpretation of a very familiar carol done in a, in a really interesting new way with a, a new twist. And that's sort of one category of what we have on the, on the album. And then the other category is songs where we've um, taken a little piece of an old carol, usually like one line of the lyric, and we've sort of replanted that in the present and grown this sort of entirely new song around that old um, sort of inspiration. So that's another category that you have on, on the album. And throughout, you're just sort of mixing between those two ways of reinterpreting old traditions for uh, for modern ears. Hey, can I take it from the way you described your mother-in-law, James, that you are not one of those Christmas people? <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, well, I mean, I uh, I like Christmas. I mean, sure. I, here's the thing. I mean, um, Anne grew up um, in the, the United Church of Canada. I grew up outside the United Church of Canada. And I still had Christmas traditions. Um, we still celebrated Christmas. and um, But I've had to find my own way to reconciling, you know, um, the, 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 the Christmas spirit with my own experience, you know. And, and, and so I think everybody um, has to, in our culture at least, has to uh, find their way in to this season. And for me, I guess I would say it's always been through music. And um, although I would say that's always been my way to understand almost everything in the world, <laughs> Christmas being no different. Uh, and so this is kind of a record of my way of understanding the season and what it means um, from the perspective of somebody who grew up outside the church. So, you know, um, whereas with Anne, you know, that's, that's it's a different story. You, you have different traditions and we're coming to um, a place where we both meet and Anne, are you uh more of a christmas person then a more of a christmas lover would you say <laughs> i do, i do love christmas yeah i i think there is something magical about it that i love and for us out east there's often snow on the ground which to me is just such a beautiful sight and yeah it's it's fun now that we have a son of our own, it's fun to pass certain traditions on and make new traditions. And I, I love that creative aspect of, of Christmas time as well. Well, I was going to ask about your son, because if you're on tour at the moment, are you going to be away for Christmas? When are you coming back? Yeah, so we're we're traveling with him and we will be on the West Coast for Christmas. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... Um, endeavor to try and bring some of the traditions that we have in Nova Scotia here and yet here is where all of my family is so my parents and my siblings and their kids so there there will be a lot of family time but it will be a little bit different than what we're used to in Nova Scotia yeah oh but you will be with family I was kind of worried for a second you'll mm-hmm. be spending um you know Christmas day in a hotel room or something oh no luckily not no okay oh that's cool that's a <laughs> relief then. Yeah. our son has been known to celebrate birthdays in hotel rooms yeah, <laughs> oh yeah his birthday yeah. was during the la youth fest in the hotel room <laughs> yeah. we had like a muffin to celebrate oh, with the candle on top the candle, yeah. no it was good it was fun. 
Poor, poor kid. Poor yeah. kid, I think. It was sweet. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't remember. <laughs> How- but, it, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, snow on the ground and um, that being a, a symbol sort of of, of of Christmas. I know a lot of people celebrate Christmas and they don't have snow on the ground. But the, the seasons definitely do uh, influence the, the way you feel and the way you sort of read into the the metaphors and the imagery around it and and just the idea of the 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 winter the bleak midwinter uh with with all its of its coldness and and sort of really the 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 dormant kind of nature of the season um <clears throat> it sort of leading up to the rebirth in the spring there's something that is kind of dark and magical about this time of year and i think if you listen to the album I think it reflects that when when I stand back from the album now and I listen to it, there is a kind of a, a, a um, there's sort of like a dark sparkling quality to it. it. It sounds like a kind of a paradox, but it's um it's not just like a, not just a happy, happy, joy, joy record. It's not just like a hooray for everything record. There is a sort of, um no, there's a complexity, <laughs> maybe a complexity or a, a, a conflicted or slightly sort of like um, muted celebration that I don't know. I can't really explain it exactly, but I think it kind of puts into music some of the things that we can't put into words in terms of the way we feel at this time of the year, but also the way that we feel about Christmas traditions in general as we try to make a bridge from sort of uh, past Christmas past to Christmas present and and what do these traditions mean to us now? What do these melodies mean to us now? What do these words mean to us now? I think when when we when we took on this project, we didn't realize that that's what we were doing is is bridging the traditions of the past and the messages of the past and trying to bring them uh, into our into our lives in, in a more authentic way that that reflects our feelings and our experiences around this time of year. I think I, you know, in some, in, in many places, I think the album succeeds at that. I, you know, I'm sort of reviewing our own record now, but I, I think at its best, I think that's what it does. And, and certainly that's what we were um, striving for. Yeah. I think it is a dark album musically, but not necessarily bleak, but I, but I know what you mean. It's sort of, um, allegorical i suppose but uh hmm. and yet it is a ukulele album so yeah. was there a, ever a thought of maybe <laughs> just right. ditching the uke in some way or uh well i would never ditch the uke I mean, <laughs> well that's good to hear, that's uh, good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know it's funny because it doesn't like i i don't i i don't even really think of it as being a uke record and and yet on every song except that one instrumental mm-hmm there, you know, Duke is all the way through the mix on on every song, and and yet it has a I don't know there's a there's a melancholy I guess to it. Um, but you know the thing is with the Uke, I've always loved melancholy songs on the Uke. I think that it's it 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 it, it creates kind of a counterweight to the the melancholy feel of a song. Um, for a long time, Marianne Brogan on uh, on the west coast of the states in portland she ran an evening with her her ensemble called um i think it was called the sad songs contest and and they would all get up there and play the saddest songs that they knew on on the ukulele and there was something it's like it just counterbalanced it out and it was a fun night but a sort of a 
it was also sort of a catharsis. And I know that's one of the many gifts of the ukulele that it can do that, that you, it, it sort of brings light into the darkness just by its very nature. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's what's happening to some extent on this album. Well, and I would just add to that, that James has really explored the outer edges of timbre of the ukulele as well. So, you know, he's not just playing his tenor all the time. There's some baritone in there. There's some pedals. There's some delay. There's, yeah, there's just other textures and colors that to me just bring a whole new meaning and a whole new range of of colors and timbres with the ukulele. How do you get the ukulele balanced with a whole orchestra? Because that, that's what it is, isn't it? There's a ukulele on sort of one part and there's a whole string section at least or orchestra behind it. Um, how did you kind of figure out how that would work? Well, doing that in the studio is one thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, but you guys are doing this in what churches and stuff when you're performing live or Yeah, and, and we're doing it in well, concert halls. Yeah, oh. like performance halls. Yeah. You know, um coming up next weekend we're gonna be playing with a full symphony orchestra for three shows in three different cities. Uh there's no question it's um it's a it's a tricky one. Um and you have to, it, and it can't just be solved by technology. You know, you can't mm-hmm. just turn it up to 11 and just hope that everything's going to work out. There has to be, I, I think it puts you on on edge in, in the best possible way. You're really relying on the other people in the room to balance themselves and to really have big ears and listen. Um, when you've got an, a conductor who's standing, you know, five feet from the soloist, but then 35 feet back to the percussion section and the percussion section can't hear the soloists as well as you might like. And, and then you're trying to get the percussion section to like groove, you know, with and swing, you know, with the performance, everybody has to rely on each other in in this sort of almost um, telepathic kind of zero latency kind of way to, to make the music go. It's, you know, being an ukulele player, I've always felt like I was, you know, driving a moped, you know, like you can make quick turns, you can accelerate, you can slow down, you can do whatever. When we're together as a duo, we have so much flexibility in terms of uh, on-the-fly decisions. When you're when you're working with an orchestra, you know, not only in terms of volume, but just in terms of timing and on-the-spot decision-making, it's like driving an 18-wheeler. I mean, you, you know, if you want to make a turn, you better be thinking about that turn, you know, a minute or two before it happens, because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll just, you'll, you'll flip over. It's not going to be good. So it's a different way of thinking for us, but it's also, you know, it's been an interesting challenge. Yeah. And I think we, we also worked with a good friend of ours, Antonio Delgado on the orchestral arrangements, and he did a beautiful job. So that now I'm talking about the live show. So the, the arrangements on the record we we did and you know there's mixing and there's things to to do to make sure that the parts that you want to come out come out but for the live show yeah tony did a beautiful job of orchestrating it and part of the job of an orchestrator is making sure that all the all the parts can come out where they need to come out yeah yes you don't you sort of orchestrating dynamics so um if you don't want it to be don't if you don't want it to be loud you know, just make sure that not everybody's playing. Uh, if you want to be loud, you know, it's everybody in the pool. And, and so you do a lot of that um, dynamic balancing, hopefully, before you even get to the first rehearsal. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. Fingers crossed. 
And if, if you guys are playing in different venues, is it a different orchestra every night as well? Or Thankfully, the orchestra is on tour with us. <laughs> wow, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, they hire a bus to, to move the orchestra around. Um, and we we might actually drive separately just because we have, you know, uh, our son in tow and we need the flexibility to, you know, get him back maybe to the hotel quicker than the other musicians who might want to hang out and have, you know, uh, beer and, you know, fried chicken after the show. <laughs> I don't know what they want to do, but, you know, we probably need to get right back to uh, to the hotel. So we might be separate, but, you know, it's going to be quite an entourage. I'm, I'm quite curious to see how it all works. Okay, we'll be back with James and Anne in a moment, but I just wanted to remind you that if you'd like to help support the podcast, as this is an incredibly labour-intensive project for me, please check out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash uketeacher. Just sign up at any level and you'll get early access to each of the episodes, lots of bonus content from several of the interviews as well, and you'll occasionally get the chance to do things like ask questions to guests and get the scoop first on who's going to be on the show. And hey, if this is the first episode you've ever checked out, by the way, be sure to have a whiz through the archives, as I really have spoken to some of the top, top names in the ukulele world. Jake Shimabukuru, Cynthia Lynn, Bagizi Kamalo, Victoria Vox, and in fact, James Hill himself spoke to me for over an hour in the first ever episode. So why not go back and have a listen to that one as well? Really, there are some great names to listen out for, so have a lot of fun this holidays going back and checking out the archives of ukulele tales talking of which who would you like to hear me chat to in the new year drop me a message to uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com with ideas for future guests or indeed any thoughts about the podcast and i will do my best to get your favorites on the show and yes i do reply to every single message that i receive eventually <laughs> By the way, do you remember last January we did a special episode of Ukulele Tales all about your goals and New Year's resolutions for 2023? Well, it's January again in just a few short days. So time to start thinking about your resolutions for 2024. And if you have any, let me know. I'd also really love to hear about how you got on with the goals you set yourself for 2023. Did you succeed? Are you well on your way? Did you give up? Don't worry if you did. January is a great time to start all over again. Now, I'll be talking about this more in the new year, of course, but one listener, Petra Horsten of Holland, set themselves the goal of performing in the Dutch Ukulele Day. And a few weeks back, she sent me an email with a photo attached to say that she had achieved this goal. So congratulations to Petra. And I'd love to hear from the rest of you about how you've got on. So do be sure to send me a message either on Facebook, Instagram, or of course, Email uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com. Right now, though, let's get back to part two of my conversation with James Hill and Anne Janelle. Are you guys kind of fans of the Christmas album as a concept? Like a lot of, weirdly, a lot of my favourite bands, even ones you wouldn't really expect it, have sort of put out special Christmas records or EPs or live shows or whatever. Um, in fact, the one I was thinking about when I first heard the first song on your album, Joy to the World, was a bit of a random one, but the Crash Chess Dummies did a Christmas oh, yeah. album about, I think it must be nearly 20 years ago now, weirdly, but uh, which I really love. Um, and that's got a kind of a dark feel to it as well. But I was just wondering, well, firstly, 
are you fans of the Christmas album as a concept? And secondly, do you like crash chest dummies? <laughs> is my second <laughs> best good question, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, I mean, Crash does dummies. Yes, actually, true. they're on tour right now. Oh, really? Carlton Stone. They're probably touring that Christmas record, and I haven't heard it, John. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig it up after this interview. Yeah. Well, you got to no, check I, it out. Could, it's kind of I dark. Kind of but, imagine. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I bet it would be. Yeah, that's great. But we, you know, I, I think what's interesting from a musical point of view about Christmas is that music. I, I guess music is kind of the language of Christmas in a way, um, and people's musical tastes change at Christmas. Um, like, for example, you know, everybody likes jazz at Christmas for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Everybody listens to jazz and then they go back listening to whatever they were listening to before. Um, but it's kind of like we, um, it, it's it's kind of like uh, people have this Christmas personality when it comes to their music. And, um, and, and often we have these sort of touchstone albums that stay with us our, our entire lives. Um, that are Christmas albums that bring back memories that we only listen to, you know, once a year. So I, I'm a fan of that for sure. I'm a fan of having a touchstone that, you know, when I'm, even now when I listen to certain albums, I can, you know, put myself back in in another time. Um, and, you know, the smells of mom's baking and, and the, the, uh, the smell of the Christmas tree at my, childhood home and those things come back to me through the music and i think a lot of people feel that way um which is one reason why music is sort of the language of christmas but i think our 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 greatest ambition for this album is that it would become part of people's traditions that it would be that would become part of their lives in in a meaningful way i've never i don't think i've really ever recorded an album or even necessarily tried to record an album that would go well in the background of somebody's life. I think, you know, typically when you make an album, you're trying to make the album the focus and say, Hey, look, look at these songs or look at this, look what I can do. Or, you know, a Christmas album is different. A Christmas album should integrate itself into, into somebody's life and not necessarily be the focus all the time. And that's a, that's an interesting and different um, musical challenge. And, and, um, hopefully it's one that we were able to accomplish with this record. When I was growing up, the album was still an album mm-hmm. and we listened in those ways. Our favorite Christmas time record was the Roger Whitaker Christmas album. So that's the one, you know, when James talks about walking down memory lane, we just recently got that one on vinyl. So we play that in the kitchen at home for the second generation. But I I think that it's it's an interesting it's an interesting proposition to be a band and then to be a band making a Christmas record. And I yeah, it's a, it's an interesting decision to make, I think. And sometimes people do it, you know, for non-musical reasons as well. And that has a certain feel about it and sometimes yeah it's just another another aspect of of expression another another way to access different different types of music for bands and you know you hear all these cool covers and um and even original songs so i mean i i do love christmas music and i think for me it's been yeah this mixture of nostalgia 
but then also an opportunity to hear artists stretching out and doing doing things that they might not otherwise do. But also there are vanishingly small numbers of songs these days that we all have in common. Yeah, that's true. You know, with the when you get this sort of breakup of the media landscape and you get the real influence of um, like playlist culture, there there aren't that many songs that we all share anymore. I mean, and I think that's only, you know, gotten more fragmented over time. And and then Christmas rolls around and it's like, okay, like it or not, you don't have to love all these songs, but um, we do share these it's songs. Language. There is a commonality there that you might not get during the rest of the year. And that that has a has an effect. It it brings people together. At, at its best, it brings people together under under the same banner of of melody and music um, in a way that we we may not experience. As ukulele players, we are familiar with that because when you go to a jam session, there often are some common songs, you know, whether it's jambalaya or wagon wheel or something. You know, like mm-hmm. we are in an insulated community where we do experience common songs. Um, but uh, for people who are outside that community, um, I think Christmas is one of those times where they get to feel that 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 bond through music with with other people, and that's um, that's special. We don't get that at any other time of year except your birthday. There you go. There's right. one song. Yeah. There's one yeah. time when we all get to sing together and we know the words to the song. But otherwise, <laughs> Christmas, you know, from a from a musical point of view, is still a very special little island in the in in the course of the year. So, what led to you guys? making another album together the first i think in what nearly 10 years is it oh boy uh, well with the original stuff i mean our latest record was many a moon but that was a live kind of acoustic record yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. when was the last one i always lose track was it true true love don't weep true love don't weep yeah that was a long time that was like 2009 yeah i mean i think the duo record was it just made sense for this project because both of us had something to say about it, you know, oftentimes. So I have my solo project and actually I just released a new solo record this fall and James has his solo project and he's about to release a solo record Mm. in February. But the thing about the duo album is that it really is a collaboration and it really is basically when both of us have songs that we're coming to the table with you know we, we both had something to say about this yeah and they were different things but yeah. they were complimentary and that that's sort of that's the beginning what usually happens yeah. <laughs> yeah. we have different things to say about it but yeah, that's right. complimentary yeah. <laughs> i mean i assume the answer is yes but do you guys kind of enjoy sort of working together well i think i think the answer is mostly you know, like we, we, there's always little moments in the studio where you're just like butt heads and, mm-hmm. you know, well, I want it to go up there in the melody and well, I want it to go down there in the melody or, you know, um, there's always little moments where you disagree about details. But I mean, overall, it's it's great. I mean, it's magical having that, you know, common purpose and, and sort of it, I guess it would be like couples who have a hobby that they can share you know like who curl together they, they do curling and they play yeah. bridge together or they you know yeah. go mountain climbing or something you know but for us it just happens to be our our livelihood oh well, my answer is yes and i think it's it's better than curling together because we're actually creating something together mm. and creating anything 
is a challenge. Not only are you trying to wrestle something ephemeral into some kind of concrete existence, but it's also, there's many decisions to be made. And both James and I come from different musical backgrounds. We have different tastes. We have, you know, certain things in common, but a lot of, of things in contrast as well. But to me, that's what makes it interesting. It, it would be awfully boring if we disagreed with each other all the time. And it was like, okay, I want to do this. Great. Let's do that. So I think, I think there is a fruitful place where we, where we butt heads, as James says. But I also think that it's, it's a wonderful thing to create with with someone and because James and I know each other so well we've also grown into each other artistically and musically when when we first met I was going to be a classical cellist in an orchestra that was my that was my path and or that's what I thought and it was only after being together for a while and that that duo album and all of the decisions that led me to a different way, a different place, a different um, collaboration with James that that then ultimately meant that we were, yeah, creating together and growing together musically. So, and James, well, we did a, we were chatting the other day with another friend and James, you were talking about us in performance because the, the creative side is different, but then there's also bringing it onto the stage, right? Yeah, I mean, the the feeling that you have on stage when it's especially when it's just the two of us is it's kind of like total uh, reliance on the other person. I mean, it, it's like, it sort of feels like the, the two of you versus the world, you know, like you, you only have each other to rely on and it's a pressure situation. Um, and you, you do, you, you rely on one another. You, you have almost a telepathic, you know, unspoken language. One look from Anne, and I, I, I usually know what she means or what she wants me to do. Or you know, uh, there's always that look where it's like, you know, that one where I can't remember what lyric is coming next, and I give you that eyeball, and and you'll maybe like start the next lyric just a tiny bit before so that I can see the vowel that's coming, and then you know, you just help each other out in ways that the audience will kind of never know. Um, and that's a really, uh, you know, it's a special connection. And I think that, you know, putting yourself in those often uncomfortable places where you only have each other to, to, to rely on. It's, it's sort of like, I can imagine how it must feel to be like doing an escape room or something. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you can only have each other to, to, to get out of this, you know, uh, thing. And, and that's a little bit like what performance can feel like sometimes. And when you overcome that together, of course, it, it just makes you stronger you know, as a couple. There's also the other thing, like you know, when we're at home, like, <laughs> and you're trying to make a meal, you're getting your son out the door to hockey practice or whatever, but you're always thinking about what you've been doing in the studio that day. And, and there's a kind of a, you know, musicians get a you know, well-deserved reputation as being kind of uh, spaced out, kind of heads in the clouds kind of thing. Because you're, it's not that you're spaced out, you're, you're thinking about that, one little lick that you want to perfect or that lyric that you can't find a rhyme for. And, and you're all, your, your brain is often sort of occupied with this creative um, sort of background noise. And if you don't have a partner who understands 
<laughs> that that's partly what you're thinking about, um, it can be very hard. Uh, and I, I don't know that from direct experience, but I know that from talking to other friends. Who, and and the fact that we have a common project and that we're both in that place of, hey, what about this rhyme for that? You know, in the middle of, you know, lunch or something. Hey, what about this rhyme for this? Or, hey, we should reach out to that person and see if they want to play the album on the on the radio. Your brain's always sort of spinning on that on that project. And if you can understand each other on that level, it's a lot better than uh, one person being stuck in that uh, netherworld and the other person wondering why you know, you just forgot to pick up the eggs and milk because mm-hmm. you were thinking yeah. about rhymes, you yeah. know? So yeah. that that's a practical side of things that, you know, I don't take for granted. It, it's it's cool. When you guys work together, is there an element of sort of having to put your individual projects on the back burner for a while? Yeah, well, I mean, we're juggling a lot of things and always when you... Yeah, there's there's just different times where different projects will come to the fore. And other things have to take a back a back seat for sure. But, you know, I, I just love that we have multiple ways of engaging and multiple outlets for our creativity. That's the the benefit is to have that wide array that we can ch- change gears or shift into something. If something's not working, then you, you know, work on work on something else. Well, well things are always going from one burner to another like i think it it might seem from the outside that you know you just start a project and you sort of see it through and then it's over (laughs) but like it's very non-linear a very non-linear process as as you know john and and like um some some things will go they'll be on the front burner for a couple of months and then they'll go into the back burner for like two years uh and then they'll come back into focus and I actually really like that way of working. I think it might drive some people completely up the wall, but thankfully, you know, Anne, I think also works in a similar way where you sort of, you, you, you work in sort of fits and starts and things come into the foreground and, and then retreat into the background. And you've always got this kind of very dynamic um, to-do list, I guess you could say. And uh, the fact that anything gets done is kind of a minor miracle. But I think we both work in that very nonlinear way. And so it, it makes sense that like, hey, this is the focus right now because this is what we're both waking up in the morning thinking about. So that needs to be where our energy goes. Yeah. And I think also in the creative process, it's really important to have an incubation period. And so those times when the thing is so-called on the back burner, Actually, there's a whole bunch of uh, activity going on under bubbling under the surface that sometimes we're not even aware of. But then we go back to a project, and it's it's better, or there's some you know problem that we've solved in the meantime, or whatever. So I I love having space to reflect and space where it's not just like go 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 do 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 all the time. That's exactly what you said to me about your um, Billie Jean thing, James, kind of the incubation yeah, period. Yeah, that's right, actually. But it was a 10-year a, yeah. a incubation period, I think, in that case, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And that happens. I mean, that is happening all the time. Sometimes on, on that 10-year time span, sometimes you have to leave it for a week and come back to it. But um, that's that's definitely seems to be the way that things actually happen. It's not necessarily the way you would you would tell people that they actually happen because it's it's very, I think off putting or it's not, not very glamorous. No, it's not very glamorous. <laughs> if, if you were if you're trying to teach students, for example, how to, you know, write a song, you would probably choose 
to present it in a more linear way because that's the way people can absorb the information. And yet, you know, eh, it's not really how it works, but it's very hard to actually represent the way that things actually work um, because that's not the way people necessarily absorb information. So, you know, as a teacher, I'm sure you can, you know, um, relate to that. <laughs> and, yeah. and as a teacher myself, the juggling act is how much truth do I tell um, and, and how much do I have to put this in onto a grid so that it can be absorbed in, in, in a somewhat logical way, even if it's a very illogical um, thing in reality? My dad actually is working on a book. Um, mm. I don't know if he'll listen to this podcast, but if he does, hi, dad. <laughs> and uh, he's been working on this book for, I don't know, oh, years and years now. And he uh, is still working on the book. And he has a friend who um, often will ask him about his progress on the book. And the friend is a mathematician, a retired mathematician. And the friend will often ask my dad, um, wh uh, what percentage of your book have you finished? And this question drives my dad completely nuts. Because, like, you can't really say, you know. Yeah, how, when you're in the middle of it. How when you're in the middle of the process. Is it 75% done? Is it 80% done? And, you know, and the mathematician friend has a little bit hard, a little bit um, of a tough time understanding why you can't say what percentage of the project is finished. You know, yeah. it's just a difference of, of, of perspective. So mm -hmm. let's talk about 2023, which is about a week away from finishing. Have you guys had a good year? Has anything sort of stood out for you as being particularly positive? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been a great year. I can't remember what happened. Right. Okay. But it's been a great year. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been an amazing year for us actually. We I feel like we're finally uh there are musical projects and albums that have come to see the light that speaking of incubation period and with the help of COVID, there was a long period where we weren't really releasing things or touring. Mm. And in the spring, we were able to launch our brand new band, which is Champagne Weather, and we did a, a tour supporting that. So that that was years in the making. It's super exciting to have that finally coming out into the world. And then this fall, as I was saying, I, I released my latest solo record, which again, I mean, I've, I've been writing for at least a couple of years and and then of course this Christmas album with the the culmination of us playing with the full symphony orchestra it's like I'm a pinch myself moment you know having grown yeah. up in orchestra and then all of a sudden now we're we're soloists with this orchestra so yeah I think it's it's been amazing <laughs> yeah yeah and, and for me it's been kind of like all those things plus it's been kind of the year of you kids. Mm -hmm. um, that whole project has really come to fruition and uh, finishing the you kids album and, you know, having the first you kids gathering in person, you know, in Santa Fe um, um, back in October. And, you know, that that's been a, a incredible sort of um, arc uh, to that project and, and not just the, the music, but also the community building and, everything that's um, happened around that the, the the band has really uh become the album and the album sort of became the band yeah and so um that that for me when i look back on 2023 that's that's a big part of it well we'll speak a lot more about that on an upcoming episode mm -hmm. uh in a, in a couple of months yeah. when that comes out 
But perhaps you could answer one question about it. Is there going to be a UK two? Do you think? <laughs> that is a great question. Uh, well, I hope so. I think it would be a shame to come this far and to not um, be able to jump into a new process with that band. Like, I just can't imagine that we're not going <clears> to <throat> be able to do another project together, whether it's a full album, uh, whether it's a single, whether it's an EP of you know five or six songs. I, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball and, and uh, who knows what tomorrow brings, yeah. but all things um, being equal, I think there will be uh, another You Kids installment. A Christmas record, maybe? <laughs> that would be fun. That would be awesome. Yeah. A whole choir. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I wish you both a, a very Merry Christmas and hopefully we'll speak to you again uh, in the new year. Absolutely, Thanks, John. John. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much back. for having us. Okay, many thanks again to James and Anne for the great Christmas convo, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. I'll be back in a few short weeks with a special New Year's edition, so be sure to send me your goals and resolutions for 2024, and of course, let me know how you got on with your goals for 2023. One of my goals was to teach myself the piano, or at least start learning it, so I bought one uh, about a month back. And, well, I've been really, really enjoying it, I have to say. Anyway, I've been rambling on for way too long, so if you're listening to this around midnight, then you probably want to get off to bed and get ready for Santa to come. So, just time to say quickly, thanks again to Carla for sponsoring the show. And as ever, head to carlabrand.com slash uketeacher for a 10% discount on any of their wonderful ukuleles. Now, until next time, I love you all, and I wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank, an old man said to me, won't see